chapter 2. Maybe I'll just use, I'll use that guy today. I'll try not to run around too much up here. There are guys that do run around. I think if you're gifted to run around up here, it can work. I don't have those gifts. Acts 2, 29 to 36. Hear the holy word of our holy God. Brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that both that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. It was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Amen. Let's pray. O God, you are holy, holy, holy. And how thankful we are, Lord, that we can come without un, without veiled faces and covered feet, Lord, but because you see us, Father, covered with the righteousness of your Son, even his blood. And we are your children, and you love us. Why you love the ones that you love in Christ is beyond us. And we're thankful that we are the recipients of your saving love, your saving mercy, your saving long-suffering, all of the blessings we enjoy in you, Jesus Christ. Help us grow more in love with you, O God. Less in love with ourselves, less in love with sin in this world, more in love with you. Use the preaching of the word, Lord, to bring yourself glory, to usher your children to Christ and to build us up in Christ. Encourage us all, Lord, how we need encouraging. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Originally, originally, I don't know what it was, maybe a month ago, I was originally going to take a massive section, verse 14 to 36. It's really one unit, Peter's sermon on Pentecost. And the essential purpose of Peter in this sermon is fairly clear. Peter's preaching Christ, as I'm going to talk about in a little bit more in just a bit. But he's trying to prove to these Jews at this feast that Jesus is the Christ. So, But there's so much here, I decided to kind of chop it up in, in various parts. But I do, since we've, we're looking at kind of thematically very, very similar things, um, if I don't hit your particular thing in this passage, I probably have talked about it in previous sermons. But I do want to back up maybe a little bit and get a bird's eye view of what Peter's doing here kind of in the grander scale um, um, and even as we look at the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is sometimes referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. And if I was going to be persnickety, it's really, it's, it's really the, the Acts of the Apostles as filled by the Holy Spirit or as, as governed by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're looking at in this book and what's happening in this particular chapter with Peter's preaching 
is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is being advanced. And the devil's kingdom at the same time is is being uh, plundered and the kingdom of the devil is being put down. And so when the book of Acts and chapter 2 here, what we're looking at is the fulfillment of the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. We use the Lord's Prayer every single week liturgically. And I I love the Lord's Prayer. I, I said it even as a Roman Catholic. Many of us can shut our eyes and say the Lord's Prayer. So when you see Peter preaching, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Christ, and he keeps on preaching. This is how we, as Reformed Christians, and someday we're not going to hyphenate who we are, this kind of Christian, that kind of Christian. In some way, I do like the hyphen because it allows you to know what kind of cookie is in the cookie jar or the cookie jar for the cookies to go to. In another way, I really lament the hyphens. I, I do look forward to the day when... It will just be lovers in Christ and the presence of Christ. But as Reformed Christians, this is what's going on. What do we pray for in the second petition? The second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come. Now remember that. Thy kingdom come. When you look at the whole book of Acts and what Peter's doing here, what we just read. The second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come. We pray, and here are the various propositions of what we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. So what Peter is busy doing is he's actually plundering the devil's kingdom. He's speaking to unsaved people, um, children of darkness, the Bible uses the phrase, um, slaves of the devil, And he's preaching to them the words of Christ, freedom, liberation in Christ. And he's plundering the devil's kingdom and bringing them into the kingdom of grace through the preaching of the gospel, through the preaching of Jesus. And then bringing us all together into that one kingdom, out of the same kingdom. And then he's ushering in the kingdom of glory. So there's the this life and then there's the next life. Our brother Tony prayed it. And so we are being called to Christ for this life. And then when we leave this life, whenever that is, and God alone has determined the day in which we will die and the way in which we will die. Psalm chapter 90, teach us, O God, to number our days, right? And so when we come here, uh, we will go as believers through the ministry of the word, through coming to Jesus as Christians, we all will go from the kingdom of grace to the kingdom of glory, to the estate of humiliation and suffering, which is what Peter's point is, from the estate of humiliation and suffering. And after Christ was in that estate of humiliation and suffering, where is he now? And the estate of exaltation and glory and bliss and joy. Beloved, we all lament the loss of our loved ones who die in Christ. They would not for a million, 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 million dollars come back. Would they? Who would leave glory, the immediate presence of the risen Christ? No more sickness, no more death, but not just the absence of the bad thing, the presence, we can't even think of it, the presence of all good, Christ, the saints who have died in Christ, holy angels, holy worship, holiness, infinite happiness, kingdom of grace, plundering the kingdom of the devil, and we're all going as believers to the kingdom of of glory. And and what God is doing and how, how the method that God does this, it's through the foolishness of preaching. 
this is, does not seem like you're advancing a kingdom. Spiritually, you're plundering the devil's kingdom, and spiritually, you're building up Jesus' kingdom through preaching. No, no, no. If we were natural if you were going to build a kingdom and not spiritually, how would you build it? With a, a sword. That's how you would build it. We're here. We would like you to convert to our religion. We'll give you about 30 seconds. And if you don't convert, we'll kill you. And then what will happen? Well, everybody's that kind of believer because they don't want to be killed. But how does Christ advance his kingdom? Well, you're all sinners. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the free offer of God is eternal life. Preaching? Words about a Christ that died for sin and rose for justification? Preaching? Boy, it seems so stupid. And preaching the Bible, which seems even dumber. That's how God does it. <laughs> That's how God does it. So in the macro view, God is busy advancing his kingdom, bringing people out of their sin, out from under the drudgery of the devil, where we all were, all of us. If you're a believer, you were brought from unbelief to belief. You were brought from darkness and death and the devil to light and life in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. And that's what God is doing in the big, in the big picture uh, way of looking at it. He's advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at Peter's sermon. Again, we've looked at many very various aspects. If I don't hit your favorite aspect, mea culpa, and maybe you could listen to the other sermons because I, I, I've been trying to unpack it uh, here. When you look at what we just read, 29 through 36, if I were to ask you, as a person with a Bible on your lap and Christ in your heart, what is the subject of Peter's preaching? What is Peter preaching to advance this kingdom? What What is the subject? Now, if you go into various churches, if you go into various churches, sometimes you hear various subjects being preached. And you can discern it. If you have a pencil and a paper and you can hear words and you can go, oh, he's, he's preaching on this subject. What is the subject of this sermon found in God's word? What's the subject? Look at verse, um, look at verse um, 30. And so, because he was a prophet, David... God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants, one of David's descendants, on a throne. So this particular sermon is on one of David's descendants. And the quote, remember, if you, if you see in your Bible, the words are all in caps. It's something that the editors do, but it's pointing you back. Wait a minute. This is a New Testament usage of an Old Testament passage, and he's quoting 2 Samuel chapter 7. So th- th- this is a descendant of David, and the descendant of David is Christ. How does the book of Matthew... What, Matt, I said to a person the other day who was an atheist, feminist, that I love very much, a person that is in my family, and I said, if the Dalai Lama were honest and would read a section of scripture, if he were honest, he would have to come to the conclusion of what I conclude. But you can't be honest unless you're converted. I would challenge even, even, even an atheist. Matthew 1. What's the, what's the book of Matthew about? Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When the Jewish people would, would hear Jesus, they would beat their breasts and say, Thou son of David. What? Finish. Have mercy on me, the sinner. So 
Peter's preaching his sermon and saying, Jesus is the son of David. And then to, to use the language of Jesus, he's David's son, but he's David's Lord. And that's the whole business. And the Lord said to my Lord, he's using again Psalm 110. It's Jehovah Yahweh said to my Lord, Adonai. Remember, and, and this is, if you're a Christian and you interact with non-Christians, They'll say, well, we don't believe the Trinity, and we don't believe that. Of course, they're unbelievers. That's what unbelievers do. They don't believe. But they say, well, Jesus is just a swell guy. Oh, he's way more than a swell, swell guy. <laughs> he's God come with the flesh. Remember doubting Thomas? Remember doubting Thomas? Stuck his finger in his side, and he said to Jesus, my Lord and my what? Go ahead, finish the sentence. God, that's this. So every verse, verse 31 we have the resurrection of Jesus. So we have the truth of the Trinity. That might be another sermon later. But I, I want us to see verse 29, verse 30. Christ, descendant of David. Verse 31, resurrection. Resurrection is fundamental to the truth of true Bible Christianity. Jesus wasn't raised in theory. He wasn't raised as a phantasm. He was raised bodily. Beloved. On the last day, when this Jesus Christ comes back, if you love him and die in him, guess what's going to happen to you? Even if you're cremated, what will happen? You're going to rise physically. Well, how does that work? Well, the God who can create everything from nothing, nothing can certainly make the, the atoms come back together and raise you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, he does it as a public person for us. Look at verse um, 32 to see the subject of Peter's sermon. Look at verse 32. This who? Jesus. Again, resurrection. Promise of the Father, the first person of the Godhead, the third person of the Godhead, Holy Spirit. Verse 34. It was not David who ascended into heaven. The Lord said to my Lord. That's the divinity of Christ. We have the two natures of Jesus in this passage. That Jesus is fully divine and that Jesus is fully human. He had a real body, a real soul. He was really born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, conceived by the power of the, the, the Holy Spirit over real, like real. The Bible says it. He's not just a swell guy. Jesus is not an angel. He's a real human being, but he's really fully God. The Bible says it. Can we fully understand some of these things? No. If you ask me after this sermon, so how does it work? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. I don't know. I'll tell you right now. It's beyond me. It's not anti-reasonable. It's super reasonable. It's above our reason. David says, these things are too wonderful for me. And if you say, well, I don't believe in a religion that I can't fully understand, I'm, I'm going to um, tell you that you're not being consistent. You don't know how electricity works. You don't know how your combustion engine works. You don't know how your capillaries work. You don't know how a ton of things work. And you still use them. Am I not right? So if you want toast, you don't know how your toaster works. And you're going to use your toaster. So don't, don't hold me to a standard that you yourself don't don't adhere to. Do you see that? But mysterious. But the subject is Jesus. And now look at verse 36, and this is fundamental. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus. And then what does he say there? Look, look at your Bible. This Jesus whom you what? Crucified. This is going to seem so silly. If you all are come here for two weeks, you're going to say, wow. This seems fairly consistent for you, short men. I hope it is. I hope I'm consistent like this until I drop over dead or Jesus comes back. 
the subject of Peter's preaching is Christ. And Jesus is the Christ. Not just any old Christ, but Jesus, this one of Nazareth. Earlier he said it of Nazareth. And so he says Jesus is the Christ. The subject of Peter's preaching to advance the kingdom of Jesus, to save people away from the devil, to bring them to God in Christ, the way that that is done is through the preaching of Christ. To tell people that Jesus is this one. He's the Savior. He suffered. He died. He rose. He reigns at the right hand of glory. He's coming back. That's how he's doing it. So the subject of the preaching is Jesus. But it's, it's in reference to what I just said. It's not just that Jesus is the Christ conceptually or theoretically. Jesus is the Christ and in, in, in what is that in reference to us? He brings salvation. That's what Christianity is about. That's why Christ has come. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. And he shall save his people from their what? Sins. This is the jam of being a Christian. The, the moment you're converted to Christ, really, because it's... Being in the church is not the same thing as being in Christ. Saying you're a Christian is not the same thing as being a Christian. The moment that you're really a Christian, you, I can't believe I know God and I'm known by God. And then you tell people, Jesus will save sinners. And this is where people say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have gone off the rails. Why? Because you just used the S word. What? Sinner. Sinner. You, you can't. You can't. You don't have biblical Christianity. You you don't advance the kingdom of Jesus. You can't preach Jesus. You can't. Without saying, he saves sinners. So you have the subject of his sermon is Christ, the Savior. And the Savior of not good people. If someone says, I'm not a sinner, then you don't need Jesus. If you do not sin, you should go play golf. You should wait till it gets sunny and just go play golf. If you are not a sinner, you do not need Jesus Christ at all. I have some news for you. (laughs) We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Thought, word, and deed, right? So you have the preaching of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus that saves sinners. And, and, And in it, you see the various, you see the two natures of Jesus, his humanity, his divinity, And then you see the various estates of Jesus, humiliation, exaltation. But specifically, what he gets at a number of times is his crucifixion, is his crucifixion. And that also is super offensive to to natural man. It's really funny, like the criminal is judging the righteous judge as the righteous judge is wrong and the criminal is more righteous. I'm super offended that you require a blood sacrifice. Oh, really? You who are a murderer, you who are this, you who are that, you are offended with a holy God. But that's what we do. So the moment you say Christianity is advanced, people are saved by believing in the crucifixion, atoning, blood, sacrificial death of Christ. People say to you, what? And we would not like you to come over to Thanksgiving for dinner because <laughs> you're a weirdo, narrow person. Beloved, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. If you go before God and wait till you die to present what? You give five bucks to the Sisters of Mercy. You're going to go present your five bucks to the Sisters of Mercy before God 
to pay for your sins, what will you hear? Depart fornicator, depart liar, depart Sabbath breaker, depart adulterer, depart drunkard. I never knew you. He doesn't accept anything but this. So this is an act of, I would argue, love on the part of Peter, both to God and to people. But he's preaching Christ. And again, I just want to kind of camp out on that idea of he's preaching Christ. It seems silly. But notice what he's not preaching. Notice what he's not preaching. And this is significant for us as believers. He's not preaching health or wealth. And that strikes us almost as strange. I drive around, you drive around, and you see Best Life Now Church, Shazam Church, Super Duper Upward Movement Whatever Church. Am I, I'm not even being silly. Am I not right? And then you go in and you hear what? Everybody looks like they're chiseled and they're white. Their teeth are so white you, you can't even see. And even the guys who are 80 have jet black hair. And everybody looks because you're having your best life now. Believe in Jesus and you can be healthy. Believe in Jesus and you can be wealthy. Believe in Jesus, you can change culture. Culture, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. Believe in Jesus and you can have the family you want. <laughs> Good luck with that, as John Calvin liked to say. Is he preaching Jesus plus? I'm not being silly. I promise I'm not. He's not preaching Jesus plus. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. Just looking at the, the scheme of the Apostle Peter, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he gets it right. When people preach a Jesus plus, or Jesus to be healthy, believe in Jesus to be wealthy, believe in Jesus to have the society you want, when they do that, they reveal a couple of things. They reveal where their first love is. The other thing is their first love. And Jesus is a means to get their first love. Do you see that? And people go, well, I believed in Jesus and I'm still broke. I believed in Jesus and I'm still sick. Therefore, I don't go to church anymore. I don't read my book Bible anymore. Beloved, if you think you came to Jesus to be healthy and now you're going to pitch a fit because you're sick, you didn't come to saving Jesus. You missed the first point. Jesus doesn't promise you you're going to be healthy. He doesn't. Read the Bible. The Apostle Paul had an eye problem. Timothy had a stomach problem. We'll say if you come to Jesus, you're always going to be Placido Domingo and never be stressed out of your gourd. Read the Bible. First Timothy was, Timothy was walking around like a cat on a hot tin roof. Well, he's stressed out of his gourd. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. And he loves Christ. Christ never said he's going to make everybody constitutionally Placido Domingo. Never said that. What did Jesus say? I'll save you from your sins. I'll love you. I'll give you peace. I'll give you... But see that. When you hear preaching, believe in Jesus to get. Jesus is a means to the end. Whatever it is. And it reveals the real God, little God, little G. That's a form of what? When you're using Jesus to get the real thing, that's a form of what? Idolatry. That's a love of the creature. I love my health so much, I'll, I'm going to use Jesus to get it. I love my wealth so much, I'm going to use Jesus to get it. That's idolatry. I, I hate to say it. 
When you walk into a Jesus plus to, or a Jesus to get other stuff church, that's idolatry. And I'm going to say something. The apostle Peter is preaching Christ in order that souls would be saved and that saved souls would be built up into the image of Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Some of you all are familiar with Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, our preaching is to save people from hell and for heaven, not build churches. And the two things are different. What did he mean by that? This. If you preach, believe in Jesus, be happy, healthy, wealthy, wise, make America great again, or whatever it is, can you get people to come to that? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Will it free them from their sins? No, it won't. So he doesn't preach Jesus plus. And I would say this, beloved. We need to beware... We live in America. We are a consumeristic nation. I love America, by the way. I don't want to live anywhere else. I was born here. I hope to die here, but who knows where I'll die. God God knows. We are consumeristic. It's like the Burger King ad. I'm, I'll be 58 pretty quick. When I was a kid, there was a, an ad, Burger King. Um, you want it, you are a what? <laughs> We're like that with the church. And so what happens is we have movement-driven churches or gimmick-driven churches. We're the hipster church, the cowboy church, the rodeo church, the homeschool church, hyphen, 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 the purity church, the the pro-life church. I'm for pro-life, I'm for purity, but not as a movement. Because what happens is, when you hyphenate Christ to to any other thing, you lose Christ. Christ always loses to the thing. Always. You, you You won't do this. And there's something else we, we see behind Peter preaching Christ. One of the reasons why he preaches Christ and Christ alone and not those other things is the other things take away the offense of the cross. The other things take away the, the, the danger of Christ alone. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, I only preach Christ. I don't preach Christ plus circumcision He says, if I preach Christ plus circumcision, what? I wouldn't suffer. And here's here's what happens by way of application, which Peter is not doing. If I were to preach, believe in Jesus and be baptized to be saved, people would love me. I'd have way more people here. If I preach, believe in Jesus and the church to be saved, I'd still be in the church of my youth, the Roman Catholic Church, and people would love me. If I preach Jesus plus your so-called covenant faithfulness, whatever that is, people would love me and I could write books and be a, a millionaire. Christ alone offends the flesh. Why? Because natural man, even the flesh of regenerate man, we want our finger on that salvific scale so bad we can taste it. Right? You mean 100% Jesus purchased me with his blood? It's not 99 him and 1% my thing? Oh, no. Jonathan Edwards says the only thing that you bring to the salvation is you made it necessary because you're a sinner. The Apostle Peter is preaching Christ, which is extremely offensive to the flesh. And the only people that love to hear Christ alone, Bible Christ alone, 
are people that have tasted the truth of Christ. If you think, well, no, I've got to have the other things, I, I, I would pray about that and look to this one. So he's preaching Christ. He preaches Christ as found in the Bible. We've said that before. I, I do want us to, to say by way of application, I mentioned this at Sunday school. He walks through the text and says earlier, it's the Jesus of Joel 2. Here in our text, he says it's the Jesus of Psalm 16 and 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 110. In other words, the Jesus that saves us from the devil is the Jesus of the Bible. I was raised, as I mentioned, in not a Bible-believing Christian home. There are other Christs out there. Jesus himself says there are in Matthew chapter 24. Other Christs, other Gospels. I didn't know this Christ until he opened my eyes and I found the Bible. There are lots of... The Mormons believe that he's the Archangel Michael, or the Jehovah's Witnesses believe he's the Archangel Michael. The Mormons believe that he's the spirit brother of the devil. That's not the real Christ. And false Christs don't save you. They don't take you to heaven. Only the real Christ, according to the Bible, saves you and takes you to heaven. Beloved, is that the Christ that you love? The Christ of the Bible? Or is it another Christ? I'll, I'll say this. You say, well, P- Pastor, you talked about that last week? Yeah, because Peter talked about it last week. And guess what he's going to talk about next week? Read your Bible. I didn't write the Bible, I promise. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I, I know something about Christians because I'm one. Do we think about Jesus enough as believers? No, I don't. I'll just use myself. And I'm the minister. This is the benefit of this sermon. Yes, it's going to save us. It's going to take us out of a sin. But not just for our salvation, for our sanctification. For our being, we need to believe in Jesus. But for our well-being, we need to believe in Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you're thinking, my life is a shambles. I've got good news for you. Think on Christ, meditate on Christ, love Christ, speak of Christ, praise Christ. That's what this, that's what Peter is doing. This isn't just like check the Jesus box and then box and then live for yourself. There's no Jesus box to check. Believe in him and then believe in him and then believe in him. And then when they say brother or sister is gone, you're with him. You're with him. He's everything that we need. He's everything. That's what he's the method of his presentation, as I say, is using the Bible. And the Bible is the word of God. I have a whole little section. If you want it, I'll give you my notes, but I don't want to go too long. When you look at um, Peter's presentation of Jesus Christ using Bible, the text that I've just referenced, lies do not save. Lies should not comfort. If you present a false Christ, you'll people, leave people in their real sin. It's only the truth of the true Christ that will save. So the truth shall set you free. The truth of Christ. But not only does Peter say right things about Jesus, I would argue he says them in the right way. So again, we're just kind of unpacking some things that we find in this text. What do I mean by that? You could say right things about Jesus Christ, but you could say them in a wrong way. And I have done it thousands of times, I, I think. What do I mean by that? As you walk through this text, you're going to see the graciousness, 
the wisdom, uh, both because he says to the people, I'm a Jew, David was a Jew, Jesus was a Jew, you are Jews, you should believe. There's wisdom there. So how he presents Jesus is with graced wisdom. And, And the way that we present salvation in Jesus Christ is kind of situational specific. What people are in front of you? Are they Jews or are they Gentiles? Do they know the Bible or do they not know the Bible? Are you speaking to a professing Christian or are you speaking to a non-Christian? You say, well, why would you speak to professing Christians about salvation in Jesus? That's another sermon. Are you talking to a person who's on the mountaintop? They're happy and healthy or wealthy? Or did you just come, did you just come from a funeral? How do you share? We don't need to tell everybody everything. And he, he starts and he says, men and brothers, men and brothers. What's he doing there? You could say, well, how could Peter, a Jew who's now a Christian, speak to these Jewish folks who don't believe in Jesus? How could he call them brothers? They're not Christians. Well, this is easily explained, I think. Believing, believer to believer, we call, Presbyterians don't, I'm a weird Presbyterian, I do it, I call people brothers and sisters, I know people think you're really a Baptist and a fake Presbyterian, I don't, I think I'm a real Presbyterian, but the Bible talks about brother and sister in Christ, we're family in Jesus, we should treat each other like family, <laughs> with love, <laughs> yes. But then how would a believer call these unbelievers brothers? That's easy. That's easy. They're fellow Jews. They're fellow Jews. I I saw it the other day out on a walk with my wife. We were walking along. My wife is from India. And people from India can spot people from India everywhere. And so they gave her the, I know you're from India look. And then they looked at me and thought, you're not from India. (laughs) What are you doing? But we have an affinity with the people that we're attached to, do we not? You talk with a Boston accent, you hear someone with a Boston accent, you think they're my, the, the, the land of my birth. Even the Apostle Paul does this in, what I don't know where it is, Romans 9, I forget. Romans 8, Romans 9. He calls the Jews, he says, I have a special love for them. And, and the main point is he's expressing in his administration of Christ love. I know this is super basic. It's like, John, did you go to seminary for this? I did, but like, I think I knew this even as a truck driver. He tells them about Jesus, and he tells them using filial words, you're my brother and I love you. We can share Jesus, the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, sometimes, sometimes, and not love the people we're talking to. Check another person going to hell that I told about Jesus. Check. Bang. (laughs) And what do the people see when they see that you're telling them about Jesus and you clearly don't love them? Manana, manana. Head on down the road. I don't want to talk to you. Beloved, the Holy Spirit says to teach, for Paul to teach Timothy, our, the goal of our instruction is what? What's the greatest commandment of the Bible? Love God with all your heart. What's the second like it? Love human beings. What kind of human beings? All human beings. 
Like all, even the obnoxious ones? Yes, like you love yourself. <laughs> yes. And you're saying that I should minister Jesus out of love. Yeah, that's what he does. I know it sounds stunning. We should be the most loving folk in the entire planet, Christians. We should be the most loving people. We should love God and we should love people. Unbelievers, love them. Believers, extra love them. That's the Galatians chapter 6. Should do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. You think, well, if I walk around loving people, I'm going to get my teeth kicked in. That's right, but that's the call. You're getting your teeth kicked in anyways. As soon as you wear the I love Jesus badge, you're getting your teeth kicked in. And then you, you, you speak to them in love. Jesus saved sinners. He saved me. And I love you. And they think, please leave. But not everybody's going to say, please leave. Not everybody's going to say, please leave. I'm going to cut my sermon way short. I'm going to jump way ahead. These people have already heard that this man, Jesus, says he's the Christ. And you know what they said the first hearing, the second hearing, the third hearing? No, thank you very much. And what does Peter do? I'm here to tell you about Jesus again. We already said no the first time. That's okay. We we said no the third time. (laughs) I'm here. And I know there's the Bible passage. It says, 1 Peter 3. If someone comes to you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, and someone comes to you and says, tell me why you're a Christian. Every person. I was a truck driver. I was a carpet cleaner. Wasn't always a minister. Every Christian. When a, a person comes to you and says, tell me why you love Jesus. Tell me why you think he died. He was crucified. Like uh, Peter says, and he's, he rose from the dead. Tell me why. You should be able to, if you are an adult, not call your wife if you're a husband. You, don't, you need to call your pastor. Quote from your memory. Quote from your memory. The Bible says. Jesus says. The Psalms say. Joel says. He's, the Lord said to my Lord, you should know this. That's being ready. And always be ready. If you're in the checkout line, and you're getting ready to buy stuff in Publix, and someone says, ah, yeah, well, what do you think about that? And there's something. No, I'm not talking preach a sermon. But every person that loves Jesus, and sometimes we pick on the Baptists and we shouldn't because they did sword drills. I think Presbyterians should do some more sword drills. You should be able to work your way around the Bible. It should be inside of you. Jesus should be inside of you. And here's my point. Peter's not just regular Fred the Ragman. He's not Joe Blow. He's a preacher. This is what he does. First Peter is written to everybody. If you don't have to walk around telling everybody about Jesus if you're just a sheetrock guy. I mean, I, I did when I was a carpet cleaner. And, but you could wait. But Peter's not that guy. Peter's not waiting. He's a herald. He's been ordained by Jesus to speak about Jesus. If he didn't speak about Jesus, even when he wasn't asked, he's sinning. He's sinning. All ministers are walking, talking mouthpieces. That's what they are. They're the herald. They're the mouth. He has to speak. And he says to people who previously rejected Jesus, now let me prove to you, and, this, and he's doing it people specific. It was Gentiles, he's going to argue a different way. But with his, since it's Jews, he's using the Bible. The Bible says, he uses David. We're Jews. King David is a patriarch. He said King David is a patriarch. 
David's a Jew and believed in Jesus. Abraham's a Jew and believed in Jesus. Moses is a Jew and believed in Jesus. Peter says, I'm a Jew and believe in Jesus. You're Jews. You should believe in Jesus. Like Abraham, like Moses, like David. Do you see the wisdom in that? But I see something else. I see something else. When he stands up on time number four, they reject. Time number five, they reject. Time number 1,005, they reject. And he tells them about Christ. What do I see? The long-suffering and the mercy of God in Christ. That's what I see. See, we will tell people about Jesus. They'll tell us no once. And what happens? We're gone. Send me a postcard. I hope you're wearing your asbestos underwear. Send me a postcard. But we don't do it to our kids. You will never do that to your kid, Christian mother and Christian father. Never. No real Christian mother or father looks at their grown son or grown daughter that's walking away from Jesus and says, you've got one shot. I'm never going to tell you again. Oh, no, they don't. You're praying to God to convert them in Jesus until you can't breathe anymore. You're looking for every opportunity. Oh, son. Oh, daughter. But dad, mom, I told, I told you no a thousand times. Oh, yeah, baby. But you're alive. And you need Jesus. That's the love of God. I don't mean it in an obnoxious way. I just said he didn't do it obnoxiously. It's the love of God. And beloved, if I could say by way of application, pray for those opportunities. Pray for those opportunities. You, you, there's all people that we, we know are unbelievers. And we've told them, well, I've already told them. Pray to tell them again. Pray that they ask you if you feel more comfortable with that one. Pray that they ask you. And I want to say something else for the believer. Why this sermon of Jesus going from humiliation to exaltation, from cross-bearing to crown-wearing is so important for us as believers. Beloved, we have a hard time with the exaltation of Jesus. We have an easier time with the humiliation. Why? Because we're in this state of humiliation. We're in the suffering time. We're in the pilgrim time. Even heaven sometimes is described by the absence of the humiliation. No tears, no suffering, right? It's harder for us to grasp heaven, all holiness, God immediately there, holy angels, joy unspeakable without any of this. Yeah, it's almost like we don't even understand it. But here's my point. Because we are in this state of suffering and pilgrimage, we're just there. The Bible comes along and says, but our Christ is glorified. Our Christ rules and reigns. Sure doesn't look like it in America. Cats are turning themselves into dogs and sure doesn't look like it. Oh, but he is. Looking in the mirror, my life is a shambles. My marriage is a shambles. My kids are a shambles. The church is a shambles. Sure doesn't look like there's too much victory here. You're looking at the wrong thing. I'm looking at the wrong one. We're to turn our eyes away from this and turn our eyes to the one Peter says, he's on the throne. He's on the throne for us. No more crucifixion, no more humiliation. All power and authority has been committed into the hands of our Christ. All of our enemies will be gone. All, not by our doing. I'm not a pacifist. I'm borderline pacifist. I'm not a pacifist. Me as a minister, I do not hurt human beings. I should come in late at night unannounced. <laughs> but we think we're going to get chopped up like hamburger. 
Yeah, all day long you're accounted as slaughtered, but nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ because he's exalted. The enemies are not going to defeat the church of the Lord Jesus. What do you mean? It looks like they're doing a pretty good job. Oh, no, no. He's on the throne. One of the benefits of Christ's resurrection and ascension and session, sitting at the right hand of glory, it takes our affections off of here and puts them there. I already know what I'm becoming. I'm kind of a chicken little by, by nature. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When that happens, I know what I, I, I'm, I, I'm not doing. I'm not, I'm not looking at Christ on the throne. Beloved, do you want more peace as a believer? You want a better marriage? You want to be more confident that God loves your kids more than you love your kids? You want to feel confident about this nation and be able to do your job without falling apart? Set your minds on things above. Set your mind on the one who's on the throne for you. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to close. This is Philippians. If you're a believer, so Baptists call people brothers and Presbyterians usually don't, and they also use, they say amen all the time. So usually Presbyterians don't. I think even a Presbyterian might squeak out an amen after what I read. Okay, I'm going to read it. You ready? (laughs) Philippians 2. This is the exaltation of Christ and what it does for us as Christians. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. For although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, humiliation. Now we're going to exaltation. For this reason also... God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those who are under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. (laughs) Amen. 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 May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.